Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. Men, mental illness, and movie magic. That's it. The end. Let's talk about Clara Bow. But first, let's drop her into history. In 1921, the Yankees purchased 20 acres in the Bronx for Yankee Stadium. The Baby Ruth candy bar was introduced. The movie The Kid, starring Charlie Chaplin and Jackie Coogan, was released. And so was The Sheik with Rudolph Valentino. Chanel Number no. 5 was introduced. Albert Einstein was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics. The infamous Black Sox trial was held in Chicago. And in 1921, Clara Bow wins the Fame and Fortune contest, which changes her life. Clara Gordon Bow was born on July 29, 1905, in Brooklyn, New York, to Robert and Sarah Bow. Now, that line alone sounds like sweet, not so much. She was a very unwanted child, if I may say so. Her mother's first words, in fact, after she was born were, take her away, I don't want her. Mm. Mm, yeah. Um, Robert and Sarah were grindingly poor, painfully poor, and not like poor struggling to survive, let's get out of this, poor just existing until they could die, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> it was, I don't know um, if that's the way to describe it. The tenement apartments of Brooklyn during this turn of the century were, hmm, how shall I say, overcrowded, dreary, hopeless places. Each floor, which could have hundreds of people on it, mm -hmm. one toilet. Mm-hmm. Nobody had a bathroom. No. Most apartments, including theirs, were just one big room. Nobody had hot water. And the heat was certainly not central. It was a wood-burning stove in the middle of the room that had to do double duty of cooking and heating. It was not good. Well, and then these things were designed with an air shaft in the middle that was theoretically supposed to provide light to every apartment, you know. But instead, people threw their trash in there. So imagine living on the bottom, say, three, four floors. <laughs> After a while, the only thing that came through was not delightful sunshine, but was a horrible reek that never went away. No. It was not a pretty place. And it... They had no hopes of ever leaving. Robert was a waiter. And, and even then, you can think, okay, he's a waiter. He's working his way up. He had no drive. He had no ambition. He drank. He didn't He didn't really want to pull himself out of the situation that he was in. Mother Sarah had begun life very poor, very poor indeed, but very beautiful. Family legend has it that while leaning out of a window to get grapes for her sick brother, she fell out of the window, got a head injury that put her in a coma, and was never the same again. Family legend also has it that her mother was in a closet for most of the time, raving mad. Right, and her mother did. She was mentally ill, and her father was very abusive to her. He was controlling of the family. He ruled with an iron fist, and he was abusive to this mentally ill wife and mother of Sarah. Sarah just wanted to get out of her house. She was pregnant with her, the first child before they were even married. That baby died when it was two days old, and it hadn't been documented that it was even born, so she threw it in the trash. The second baby was born a year later and died within two hours, but unfortunately, whatever, for Sarah, there was a doctor there, so there had to be a death certificate, and they had to pay to bury the child in an unmarked grave. So the doctor tells Sarah not to have any more kids, but Sarah's life is just awful. And she's thinking, if I have another kid, maybe I can get out of this life. Maybe I can die. It's like suicide by pregnancy or something. So she does get pregnant again, and this time she gives birth to Clara, and Sarah's thinking, well, there's another one. It's not an auspicious beginning. Not at all. 
Well, little baby Clara started out so quick and funny and smart and would try to amuse her parents even as a tiny little toddler. But Mama, who was very ill, would have these fugue spells where she would stare straight ahead for hours and hours and hours. And little Clara, little Clara, I'm talking two, three, four-year-old Clara, Mm -hmm. would try and try to, you know, rouse her. You can just imagine it scared her to death. Mama, mama, mama. Um, it scared the crap out of her, but there was no one to hear her. There was no one to help her. The father would come home to find his wife just catatonic in the house and find little Clara scrooged back under the bed as far as she could get crying and had been there for hours. And it wasn't like dad was being this responsible parent going to work and coming home and finding his poor wife like this and taking his family in his arms. No, he would come home and he'd see her like that, complain about it. Then he would leave for weeks on end, leaving Sarah and Clara together. It was He was not providing and taking care of his family at all. There was hardly any money in this house. Uh, everyone in this family had one set of clothes. Nobody had shoes but the dad. Clara Bow in later life remembered one time, one shining beacon of light, there was once a chicken. Yeah. I mean, to remember yeah. a chicken. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of that movie um, and book, Angela's Ashes. Oh, where everybody oh. shared the one egg. Mm-hmm. It's like that kind of grinding poverty. Mm-hmm. And all the neighbors were nearly the same. Yeah, it was. I mean, I'm sure neighborhood. not all of them had shiftless papas mm-hmm. or crazy mamas, mm-hmm. but nobody was that much better off. Now, spring and summer were marginally better, both because it wasn't so bitterly cold in the apartment, you know, when you have no shoes and no clothes. That's pretty horrible. And because Papa could get hold of extra work. And so one wonderful memory of her childhood, Papa got a job as a waiter at Coney Island. Mm -hmm. Um, You could be by the ocean and the sun and fresh air. And later, the subway got there. And for a nickel, you could everybody could get out there. But when Clara was little, it was still a pretty calm resort. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not, Not the millions of people in loudness that it was. But um, Robert occasionally would take his little girl out with him and look around for some respectable family with a mother and a father and Mm -hmm. children and Mm -hmm. would say, can you look after my little girl? And to his credit, he had scrimped and saved and gotten her a bucket and spade or stolen it. I don't really know. (laughs) Um, But she had a bucket and spade and she had strangers on a beach and that was her vacation. I know. At least I mean, she's out of the house. Yeah, and it's very nice of the people that took her in. But that's a nice memory. I hope they gave her a sandwich, a sandwich or something. Or something. <laughs> um, Clara used to like it, though, when Papa was out of work because she wasn't lonely and afraid all day. But the situation would set her mother off, understandably so. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we going to eat? Why are you such a bum? Why won't we keep a job? Blah, blah, blah. But one tight winter, Mama's father, Grandpa Gordon, came to live with them. Grandpa Gordon, contrary to how he treated his own family, abusing and controlling, was very loving to Clara, and he was actually kind of a parental figure to her. There's a really sweet picture, we'll obviously put it on the website, of Clara and her grandfather, and it looks like any early 1900 portrait of a grandfather and a child, and she looks adorable. She's dressed you know, doesn't look terrible, but unfortunately, Grandpa didn't live much longer, and he died right in front of Clara, and Sarah said, I wish it had been you, to her little daughter. So there wasn't too much emotion at the beginning, but Grandpa is on the dining room table in his coffin. Mm -hmm. Five-year-old Clara was found the next morning sleeping next to him on the bare floor. She missed him. That's now, wouldn't you think this was the bottom? No. It's not the bottom. No. Mama, Mama, you thought she was unhinged before. Now her crap is flapping around. 
her parents are arguing nearly constantly. Papa, just stop coming home. Hey, just stop coming home. Why mess with it? Yeah. All I'm going to get is argument and mess. And so it came to this. They needed to bring some money in, and there was only one marketable commodity in the house, and that was Sarah's body. So she would go out, and Clara would hide in the closet when Mom would bring home her business liaisons. <laughs> is the nicest way I ever did to put it. And have to listen to that happening. Yeah, Clara's mother had to turn tricks so the family could survive. Eventually, Papa got his Coney Island job back. He, he moved back in, and seven-year-old Clara uh, went to school. The local school, 70, 80 kids in one class. Many didn't speak English. A large percentage of Brooklyn did not speak English mm-hmm. and were immigrants. Clara ended up playing with the boys because with one dress, no shoes, nobody to brush her hair, she was kind of stinky. Um, the girls didn't want to play with her, and they were mean to her mm-hmm. all the time. Even in that environment where everybody was just poor and she was still at the bottom of the heap. So she learned to box. <laughs> she said um, she played a lot of stick ball. You know, I will tell you, seven-year-old boys do not care if you stink. I can tell you that. No. Because there's a seven-year-old boy in the house. No. They don't care if you stink. They don't care if they stink. They don't care. No. All the better. That's right. Yeah. So she fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the seven-year-old boys. That was good. I, I'm glad. She did have one best friend named Johnny, and he lived in the same building as her. Um, one day she heard screams coming from his apartment and she ran down and that fire that you had talked about earlier had caught him on fire and he was screaming running and she rolled him in a carpet but it was too late and he died in her arms she is nine years old and her best friend dies in her arms the horrors that this child saw at such an early age I am going to go out on a limb here and say with the possible exception of Annie Sullivan this is the worst childhood ever covered on the History Jigs. I, I'm going to agree with you completely. I hope we never encounter another one. I know. And you wouldn't think so. If you just know her from the movies, you would never even know this. But, like, the depth of the horrors here are mm-hmm. not, not to be believed. No. Mm-hmm. The movies, the flickers, so she called them, became her only solace. To his very slight credit, Papa would give her spare pennies that he had. And if you could get ten of them together in a row, you could go to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you could sneak in the back door, which was possible also. Which is probably what she did. Yeah. And then that was her big escape. She loved to watch Lillian Gish and Gloria Swanson, but there was one in particular she really liked, Mary Pickford. Everybody loved Mary Pickford. She was America's sweetheart. She was, and she was only about six years older mm-hmm. than Clara, but she was making 2,000 bones a week. Yes. That's unfathomable amount of money. Claire's getting her hands on magazines to read, and she would just pour over any magazine, movie star magazine. She would write letters if she could. That was her life. She dreamed of being a movie star. She could see that as an escape because the movies were an escape for her, so that lifestyle would be a life escape. Well, she practiced acting in front of the mirror, um, you know, striking poses and practicing her emotions. Remember, this was all silent movies, so maybe she was practicing overacting, <laughs> shall we say. Um, but she was just teaching herself. Anyway, she learned to cry at will. And I will tell you, a method actor is to remember a sad memory. And so the fact that she can cry at will is not that impressive, given... The, all the memories she had to choose from. Yeah, she was very good at emotions. That was one of her hallmarks. Mama, though, had taken to the Bible. Yeah, let's put religion in quotes. She had gone far extremist with her faith system, 
and being an actress was not on the approved list of careers for her daughter. Sin, sin, sin. Big time. She thought prostitutes and actresses were interchangeable. Okay, so she's alarmed at this behavior, and then nature kicked in, and something else alarmed her. Her daughter got long legs all of a sudden. She had the darkest of red hair, huge eyes with long lashes. She had perfect teeth. Probably because nobody had any money to give her candy. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. uh, just curvy enough for the current fashion. And then, of course, they couldn't afford makeup. But mm -hmm. Clara discovered, how do you discover this? That her cheap flocked wallpaper, red, <laughs> that was pasted to her wall when moistened with a finger, could be used as lipstick. And so Clara Bow had her Cupid Bow mouth trademark from about the age of 13. Thanks to flocked wallpaper. Thanks to wallpaper. And a little bit of spit. <laughs> she was completely saucy and flirty, just like in the movies, because she did not have any real-life female role models, so she took for her role models all the ladies of the silver screen. She got her part in a school play. This is a big deal for her, and she's going to be the lead in this play. Mama's not happy about it. And unfortunately, at this time, Mama's mental health is rapidly deteriorating, and there's a number of institutionalizations that occur. One of them happened right about the time that Claire is supposed to do this play. Papa says, you're going to have to make some money. So she stops school in about 7th to 8th grade, and that's it. She's done with her education, and she doesn't get to play the part in the play, and she has to go out and get a job. That makes me feel so sad. I know. And it was kind of like Sarah wins. She goes crazy and ends up in asylum, but she wins because her daughter doesn't get to be an actress. Uh, so her first job was at Nathan's Famous on Coney Island. Um, legend has it, backdated legend, that Clara Bow was discovered working at Nathan's at the counter. Yeah, that was romanticized no. <laughs> later. That has nothing to do with it. No. Now, she was the fry girl. <laughs> and then they discovered, oh, wait, she's cute. We should put her on the counter. Yeah. So she was discovered at the fry station. That's right, to go all the way up to the front <laughs> counter. In front of the front counter. But that's kind of a cool thing that she got to work at. I mean, everybody knows Nathan. <laughs> so um, the truth, though, required just as much work as it did luck. <laughs> you know. So she's working as a receptionist afterward at a doctor's office. And the doctor did not care what she did all day as long as she was nice to the people that came in and answered the phone. Otherwise... What she did was read movie magazines. That's it. Now, you have to remember that she's a part of the first generation to grow up on movies. It was part of her life. Just like our kids are the first generation to really grow up with the Internet as part of their life. They don't have to learn it. It's just the way things are. Mm -hmm. So she was the kind of the same way with movies mm -hmm. as our kids are with the Internet. Well, she was obsessive, kind of like the way our kids are with video games and stuff. I know. <laughs> she got a little bit obsessive. Of course, Photoplay, the classic, mm -hmm. you know, the grandpapa of them all. But it was a contest in Motion Picture Classic Magazine that changed her life forever. The winner got an evening gown, a silver trophy, and a part in a movie. What? <gasps> now, this is a nationwide contest, but Claire has been practicing her moves in front of a mirror. And she, I think she heard the angels sing when she mm -hmm. turned that page. This is the future for me. So all they needed for this contest, they didn't need an essay. They didn't need a why I think I'm the best man, girl, child for the job. They wanted two pictures. Now, 
just two pictures. But, you know, to get pictures taken in that era before every single person had a smartphone was no small feat. You had to go to a studio. You had to pay an artist who had the machinery. Two dollars, about what it cost, was might as well have been $20 <laughs> as far as Claire Bowe's concerned. Where are you going to get your hands on two dollars? Right. But she was smart. And she found her father with his dudes standing outside of a bar. This pretty daughter of his asked Papa while flirting in front of his friends. And he reached in his pocket and pulled out the money and gave it to her. This is a nationwide contest, so people are mailing them in. But she was in New York, so she went right there, and they wrote on her pictures, called in person, very pretty. So even if the picture didn't quite show people that she was as pretty as she was, somebody had written on it. So that was... You know, receptionists have all the power. They do. She made the 20 finalists, and that has got to be the awesomest thing ever for this girl. Papa actually started to take it a little more seriously, but he went down there with her Mm -hmm. to keep things respectable. Like, dude, you had your opportunity to keep things respectable, like, 16 years of it now, but whatever. So, Papa and Clara went down to the office. I can imagine it was very nerve-wracking. You don't know what you're going to find in there. You have no idea what's going to happen. And then, Clara opens the door and discovers that all the other competitors are in their best clothes... Somebody's done their makeup. Somebody's done their hair. They're practicing things they've prepared for the Mm -hmm. occasion. She didn't have anything prepared. Oh, no. You know, this is not going to look good. Her first instinct was to bolt. But her father was behind her, and he, I don't think, quite understood what the problem was. Uh, And he just kind of pushed her, like, impatiently ahead of him. So they're all to perform in front of each other, which is interesting. I have been to auditions like that. So unfair. But anyway, whatever. Um, So she waited until the end to refine her strategy. What was she going to do? Obviously, she couldn't compete on, you know, fanciness. She had an old sweater and a raggedy skirt. She had to use some other facet of her personality. This was so smart of her. She's just watching. Yeah. And everyone else seemed to be imitating, oh, yeah, okay, she's doing an impression of Gloria Swanson. Ah, and that'd be Mary Pickford. You know, she knew them all. She knew all their M.O.s. She knew all their mannerisms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so did the judges. They're not fools. Right. And Clara Bow decided to just be herself. It was the best thing she could do. She was just herself. And during this test and the callback, she made the callback. Yes! She made several of her competitors cry against their will. And that is the mark, my friends, of a good audition. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so Clara and Papa began to think, hey, maybe we got this thing in the bag. It came down to Clara, to one statuesque blonde. From Texas. So imagine Clara, New York girl, no makeup. Hair is a mess. Now she's got naturally curly hair, and it's pretty wild. Her ratty clothes, and then this, just imagine the a Barbie doll <laughs> right across from her. So She goes and does her test. There is nothing. It's out of her hands. There's nothing else she can do. It's just go home. You're one of the two finalists and wait. Well, Sarah, not so happy about the whole turn of events. Lots of people thought actress meant ho. But Mama, with her special history in this last regard, was pretty sensitive about that concept. And she became crazily convinced her daughter would be better off dead than as a common tramp. Mm. So she, Clara wakes up one night with her mother standing over her with a butcher knife in her hands. Just, I'm going to kill you, is what her mother's saying. This is a terrible world. You would be better off dead. I'm going to kill you. And 
So she wakes up. She sees, like, her mom starts fuging for just a second and sees her opportunity. She actually manages to kick the knife across the room out of her mother's hands, bolts for the bathroom, uh, and locks herself in. Survival. Yeah. And she just started, I guess, crying uh, the word mama, mama, over and over at the top of her lungs, just shrieking it. I mean, you know, I can't even imagine. No. And unfortunately, this incident is what sets off her insomnia that lasts her for the rest of her life. Yeah. Clara never slept well again. To wake up and find a butcher knife on your neck is the... From your mom, the woman that you love. But within a week, the winner is announced. It is Clara Bow. She wins the contest! And the tagline says, the most beautiful girl in the country. They show a picture. They had to rush out and get another picture of her because the original ones that she had taken were kind of cheesy. Not professional. No, not at all. And she's just a young girl with her cloche hat on and a big smile on her face. So Clara Bow gets her evening gown. She gets her trophy. But where was the film roll? Ah, well... Miss Bo, if you read the fine print, it says the magazine will try to help the winner get a role in films. This is probably a good place for us to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about first movies. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com who are offering listeners of this podcast a free audiobook download to give you a chance to try out their service. We recommend Lady Almina and the Real Downton Abbey, The Lost Legacy of High Clear Castle, by the Countess of Carnarvon. This is the real story of the American heiress whose fortune helped to save High Clear Castle, the iconic home where Downton Abbey is filmed. Art imitates life. To receive your free audiobook download today, please visit our site, thehistorychicks.com, and follow the Audible link. Bo has won her fame and fortune magazine contest, and she's ready to embark on her movie career. But it's not as simple as the magazine made it sound like when she would win this contest. No, they said, we'll give you a list of casting agents in New York and a letter of introduction. That's not the same as winning a role in a movie, is it? Mm. And post-World War One, the movies went into a little bit of a slump, and she and Papa got nowhere on their own. You know, how do these people get in to see people? No. So finally the magazine stepped in because Robert Bowe was persistent. Hey, hey, you guys said, hey, you said, you said, camping out in the lobby, <laughs> lurking around. It's like, oh, my God. So they called someone. Hey, please put this winner of our contest in a movie, and we'll over-promote your movie. How's that? Somebody said yes. So Clara Bow went to be in a movie called Beyond the Rainbow. So production not being as, shall we say, thorough as these days, the movie came out very quickly after she was done. And Clara and her family took a whole party to see it. And Clara invited some mean girls from school. Because this would be, I mean, that's the moment. This is your, look what I did, neener, neener. Yes. Yeah. And so they watched the whole entire movie, and she did not appear once. She had been in five scenes, and all of them were cut. People laughed at her before the lights even came up. Ugh. 
was devastated. She was devastated. So from this high, from this dream come true, gone smash, she goes back to her doctor's receptionist job. I mean, mm-hmm. think about how that is. It's like, you got out. Sorry. You're not I mean, out. she was in five scenes and she, there's no way that she would have known that they would have cut her. Mm-mm. She thought it was a done deal and, oh, Frustrating. So her life seemed over. She's back to her old stupid job that she doesn't like, reading her movie magazines. Her mama is so psychologically damaged now at this point. She can't be left alone. Her mama uh, was committed to a mental institution at this point. Yeah, it's time. It was post-time. Don't you think a butcher knife on the neck demands institutionalization? But I guess not. Uh-uh. But salvation came calling. Unbeknownst to her, the crushing experience of Beyond the Rainbow actually did make some inroads for her because she was recognized. She did impress people that were in the production area, especially with her ability to cry and show such a range of emotions for such a young girl. Her father starts encouraging her to go out and see if you can get another get another movie. Let's do it. Let's do it. And she does. She gets cast in a movie called Down to the Sea in Ships. You know what was weird? The director, Elmer Clifton, saw her in a magazine. The picture from the contest announcement, actually, mm-hmm. was the key. You know, he saw her then, he did some more investigating, asked around, and the production people said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And he goes, yeah, she looks like the right tomboy. So random. Like, Scooter Braun discovering Justin Bieber on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He happened to flip the magazine open. He happened to know somebody that was on that movie. Sometimes life works that way. It's just amazing. You just make one decision and it changes everything. So she has another chance. More importantly, it was a 13-week location shoot at 50 bucks a week. $650 to people who know where every nickel is. Mm -hmm. That's unheard of. And she's 16 years old. And she gets to leave her environment for 13 weeks and go to New Bedford. I mean, where else are you going to film a sailing movie, a shipping movie? Let's go to New Bedford. Well, Clara saw a lot of the scenery, and she saw a lot of her co-workers. <clears throat> her totally ineffectual chaperone did not seem to comprehend that Clara went to bed and then climbed straight out the window every night. Now, she didn't drink, didn't smoke. What do you do? Well, <laughs> Adamant, let me tell you. <laughs> what she did do, oh, you're so funny. What she did do was a whole lot of running the bases, shall we say? There were home runs all over the place. Yeah, started early and started fast. Well, she started to get a reputation among the crew and the young male population of New Bedford. Mm-hmm. Um, when this movie came out, very soon after the 13 weeks were over, again, post production <laughs> was very minimal. It's like, you know, oh, well, let's get the posters done is pretty much what it was. And let's cut out a bunch of stuff and tape Tape it it together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when this movie came out, though, she told nobody for moral support. She took her cousin, Billy Bo, Mm -hmm. uh, as her date to the theater. I love that name, Billy Bo. I know. It's a good name. It sounds like a fake name, like a made-up name. Clara Bo sounds like a fake name. It does. But that's her real name. She didn't need a stage name. So she's not going to make this mistake again. Of being humiliated. And so they sat through the movie three times. Well, of course they did. She was actually on the screen this time. How exciting. Even with that hard life, her dream was realized at 16. How cool is that? I can imagine she squeezed her cousin's hand, like, so hard. (laughs) So this film was nominated one of the ten best films of the year. Okay, I want to just tell you something. Variety magazine, here's the review. Variety! Clara Bow lingers in the eye after the picture has gone. 
Her part was comedic and memorable, and soon she was cast as a flapper girl. You know how you always have see hippie girls with long straight hair spinning around in a field? That is like classic hippie girl. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Okay, flapper girls always danced on a table. And their dresses were shorter than they had been previously in fashion history. And Clara Bow was undies optional. Mm-hmm. Shall we say? And Lionel Barrymore, the great actor, Drew's great uncle, in fact, said, You can see all the way to the Virgin Islands. <laughs> he was being very optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Doesn't that make you want to, like, flapper dance? <laughs> Makes me want to buy one of those. I do not have the figure for a flapper unless I get duct tape. Yeah, you got to be. She was fairly flat chested. She didn't have a lot of curves. I love the look. Anyhow, so she's making some flapper movies. She's living free-ish. <laughs> Mama, in her mental hospital, has a sudden collapse and dies. And Clara is convinced, through misplaced guilt, mm-hmm. I killed her, I killed her, is mm-hmm. what she said. She thought that her being an actress had killed her mother. Well, that's what her mother said was going to happen, and look, it did. I think her dad, seeing this crazy reaction, was a little alarmed and he decided to take her out of herself and he marched out and did his old badgering. He's good at badgering Mm -hmm. and hanging about Mm -hmm. until people give in. And he convinced an agent, a respected agent, to take Clara Bow on as a client. The man's name is Jack Bachman and he had a partner out in Hollywood named B.P. Schulberg. And they offered Clara train fare to Hollywood and three-week trial at $50 a week. They hired a brand-new agent named Maxine Altman to be her mm, guardian and her agent, and she took Clara on this train ride. Now, Clara boards the train. She don't have a whole lot. She's got a cardboard suitcase. She had a record player and one record, Parade of the Wooden Soldiers, and she kept playing it over and over and over again. Now, remember, Clara has insomnia. She doesn't sleep. And the train just keeps going. And this is all so new and exciting to her. When does the conductor sleep? He doesn't need sleep. Why aren't we stopping? She's playing March of the Wooden Soldier over and over. It's kind of kooky. Yeah, she gets pretty wound up by the end. And as you can imagine, her companion is like, um, her eyes are like burnt holes in her head. Like, holy crap, get me off this freaking train. And what have I done? <laughs> They're eating dinner and there's, you know, more than one fork. Maxine is trying to convince Clara that you eat different foods with different forks. And Clara's all, ah, get out of here. There's no way. Why would they mess up more than one fork? You gotta wash it. I could just hear her going, go on. Get out of here. Yeah, she had a very strong accent. Yeah, we'll talk about her accent later, but she, but she had a really cute voice. Mm-hmm. I think it really suited her. So these these bedraggled ladies, one bedraggled from lack of sleep and the other bedraggled from dealing with this person, show up to BP Schulberg's office. It's the moment of truth. The agent is nervous, but Clara has no idea who this guy is. It's she doesn't care. Another audition for her. They open the door. He looks up and says, nah, I don't think so. Somebody give him train fare back to New York. That's the end of this whole journey. Well, she's a mess. Her hair is just wild. She's wearing the same clothes. She's had pleats in her skirt originally, and they're all wrinkled out. There's no way that this girl can possibly be what we were looking for. So Maxine was like, whoa, this is my meal ticket, too. So she talks Schulberg into just giving her a test. So he does. 
and he runs Clara through her paces. Now, any other actress would probably be completely freaked out at this point. This is my make-or-break moment. But Clara just, he says, cry, she cries. He says, be happy, she's happy. She has no makeup. She has no good clothes. She has no tricks. She just whipped out a great performance and then put her gum back in her freaking head. (laughs) And he looks at her for the longest time and he goes, okay, you win. That's it. I love that story so much. So she's in the machine now. In 1923 and 24, Clara was in 12 films, and they tried this technique from the very beginning that they would send pinup pictures of her in basically a sheet. She was willing to get pretty undressed for pictures all over town. And it was very common at the time for studios, because they had all their players under contract, and if somebody wanted, they would rent the players. Like, they'd buy out portions of the contract to go work for another studio. That was pretty common practice. It was almost like royalty, you know, like trading princesses mm-hmm. back and forth. Well, and they were also, so in some instances, trading money, because they would charge the other studio, let's say, $200 a week for the actor and pay the actor 75 or 50 and yeah. pocket the rest. It was Schulberg was a businessman. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in the movies for the art of them. He wasn't in it for any philanthropic reason. He was in it to become wealthy and he was a very good businessman. He knew how to market a package. And Clara Bow was that package. Well, this was a factory operation too. The novelty of of movies was such that it led to more instead of better. Right. Why spend all the time on better when more is fine and it makes you just as much money? Mm-hmm. Like, why are we killing ourselves here? Right. Just more. And in the amount of time, the amount of movies that they were creating at one time, Clara would often go to one filming in the morning and another in the afternoon, and they're two separate different movies. They told her where to go. She went. The girl had energy. She did. <laughs> and she managed, everyone said it, to transcend all this substandard material. And the next year she did 14 more films. Does anyone do that anymore? That is like sheer volume. That's like, a career. Yeah. And the saucy names added to her saucy image. Mm-hmm. Let's just read a couple. <laughs> Daughters of Pleasure. The Adventurous Sex. My Lady's Lips. Kiss Me Again. Okay, they sound like poor movies to us. Well, and this is before the Hayes Code came into effect, i.e., you know, the censorship laws. And Clara always said the very first thing a writer did in a movie was try to figure out a way to get Clara Bow's character undressed. She did a lot for lingerie. (laughs) She did. (laughs) Well, and she went to party after party. It was not a personal thing. Young starlets as a commodity, and still are, Mm -hmm. in demand at parties Mm -hmm. with wealthy men. Um, But she didn't get that impressed by the glittering excess of the A-list. Let's call the A-list Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks. Her old heroine, in fact, was now kind of a colleague, although Mm -hmm. many rungs above her. I mean, Mary Pickford was making millions of dollars a year, but Mary Pickford had her ultimately own studio. She negotiated Mm -hmm. her own contracts, etc. So it's not the same at all. And she was more businessy than Clara Mm -hmm. ever, ever was. Well, Clara thought the A-list stuff was hilarious, and she always felt more comfortable with the the servants. Mm In, in the case of a party or the crew, in the case of a movie, um, just like her old crew of tomboys running the streets, she right. felt more comfortable with she that. She gravitated towards people of the class that she was raised in rather than the class that she was working up to. So she would go to a party, make an appearance, spot a handsome man, spot a bottle of alcohol at the bar, 
Take both of these objects out to the beach, and hijinks would ensue. That's a party. That's a lifestyle for this woman. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> her career, though, was not... This is just kind of astonishing to me. Her career was not being managed or masterminded by anybody, but the public... The public was entranced by her. Mm -hmm. She was the flapper. She was the ultimate party girl of the jazz age. And she actually began to replace Colleen Moore of Flaming Youth fame. She did it better. And remember those magazines Claire used to be so obsessed by? Now the fans were writing in to the answer man with questions about her. Tell us about Mm -hmm. Clara. Tell us about Clara. There was a novel about the shocking immorality of college students called The Plastic Age. I don't know that we're shocked by the immoral immorality of college students anymore, are we? No. And Clara's studio bought the rights, and Mr. Shulman tossed her the main role. Like, yeah, let's give this one a go. Eh." Shocking immorality? Ah, sounds like the right girl for the job. We can do this role. The posters read, The Hottest Jazz Baby in Films. Jazz Mm. Baby. And she was, I mean, she's still... 18 years old, Mr. Schulberg cruised on up to the big leagues at Paramount, biggest house on the block, and he hauled Clara along with him. He, yeah, Paramount bought out Preferred Pictures, which was the company owned by Schulberg, but Schulberg did something, and he kept Clara on his personal project. The money wasn't necessarily going to Paramount. It was going to him. Hmm. Smart businessman. But the thing is... Paramount had hair people. Paramount had costume people. They, the big cheeses, attracted the best directors. They put their best foot forward at any time. And so she was in a movie called Dancing Mothers as Kittens Westcourt. Again, these could be porn, I think. I don't watch porn. Who knows their child kittens? (laughs) Somebody has told her to quit trying to be a great actress and just be herself. Is that a backhanded compliment or what? Uh, yeah. So that's good. I mean, it, it got good reviews. Like, mm-hmm. hallelujah, she's herself. So her work and home life started to combine when she started seeing, I'm quoting in air, Victor Fleming. Where do you know that name from? Well, a few years later, he directs a little movie called Gone with the Wind. Oh, yeah, and the same year he directs another little movie called The Wizard of Oz. This is Big League guy right here. And he was a womanizer who had met his match. At last. He was 20 years older than her, and Clara wanted to still see other men. You don't own me, she would say. She. This is a pattern of her life. She'd always have some main man, or a guy who thought he was the main man, and then a whole lot of secondary men. Like, often she'd leave someone's house to go on a date. Hmm. Or a date would leave her house, and she'd hop into her little roadster and drive off to see somebody else. Yeah, and she would complain, men always want to change me. That's the trouble. <laughs> like, they fall in love with her devil-may-care attitude, and then they want it to stop. And she's right. like, devil-may-care stays, That's my me. friend. It's me. Get used to this, Chachi, because <laughs> this is how it is. So, Victor Fleming did have her number, though, I will say. He said, and I quote, the flapper acts so free and happy and there's tragedy underneath. That's you all over. Her personality was not exactly what was on the screen. She portrayed carefree, vivacious, very natural and comfortable with herself. But in reality, she kind of had a little bit of self-esteem issues, but she had an underlying sad. So it was easy for him to pick up on that. She never did. She never did face the demons of her past, seriously. But she did bring Papa out to live with her, and he was just basically always quiet 
and wrinkly. This agreeable dude that never smiled. He was always in the background. He never said anything. He never did anything. She bought him a laundry once to keep him occupied, and she roller skated through the Paramount lot, making men take their shirts off so, so that she could bring some career. dirty laundry to dad to do. Yeah, and... He, but he ran it into the ground. He wanted to continue doing what he had been doing in New York, which was going to the bars. And now he actually has something to brag about. I'm Clarabo's father. It's his lead line. One day he goes off to a bar. He comes back with a wife. And then they spend the next year and a half trying to dissolve that whole situation. They He's had, a mess. It, yeah, and per- Clara had to pay for the whole thing. Well, Paramount decided to throw the publicity machine at her. Stunt PR, shall we say. Oh. <laughs> like she would try with dogs that were the color of her hair, or she'd drive around in a white convertible and a white fur. She had an oriental rug made to fit exactly on the bottom of her pool. Her house, I, you know what, I'm, I kept reading about the decor of her house, and I couldn't help but think of you, obviously, because, you know, you're a d- designer, and yeah. it, that's your thing, but I wonder what you would have thought walking in. Every room was different. And she obviously had no training. She did it herself. One room for her dogs, because she didn't want her dogs outside, she put dirt on the floor for the dogs. Cheap, tacky stuff right next to something super-duper expensive. She didn't care. If she liked it, she bought it. She had a bed that had a mirror on the canopy. Of course she did. Despite all that attention and oddness and adoration... Clara was the most down-to-earth person. She was totally comfortable sitting on the floor talking to stagehands, and directors could give her direction, and she just took it. It was like there was no ego. Mm-mm. Absolutely. I'll do it. There was no bad behavior. There was no diva-esqueness. They would just tell her what they wanted out of her, and she'd produce it. And that's what you want in your actresses, because you don't have to stop and cut and retake and deal with all that attitude. Well, the PR machine reached a high point, a high point, when a writer, social butterfly, and self-proclaimed arbiter of fashion, I always love those people, (laughs) named Eleanor Glynn, saw Clara by accident one day across a room. How do we describe Eleanor Glynn? Well, she was a, a character, I guess you would say, but she had written a novel that was kind of, she pioneered mass market erotic fiction, is what she did, in a time when that was very much taboo, so it was very, for us to read it now, it would be nothing. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, but she she wrote this, and it, it set her off on her, on her career. I guess Fifty Shades of Grey can thank Eleanor Glynn, because oh, yes. she set the standard for mommy porn. So does it go Eleanor Glenn, Jackie Collins, Mm -hmm. Fifty Shades of Grey? Right. Actually, we'll link you up to this. I read this really interesting conversation between Mark Twain and Eleanor Glenn. It's (laughs) online. How much do we love the internet? <laughs> How much do we love Mark Twain? He's got his fingers in every everything, pie. and he—they talk about the the book I was referring to. It's called Three Weeks, and it's a tale of sexual adventure in Edwardian society. I will tell you, in that book, there are two lovers that do their thing, have their main scene on a leopard skin rug in front of a fire, and Eleanor Glynn was notorious for wearing leopard fur in public. So she was in her upper fifties. She was flamboyant and costumey and so eccentric. She had this concept, this thing she always talked about called it. 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 What is it? What is it? I can tell you what it is. Very good. It is that peculiar quality which some persons possess 
which attracts others of the opposite sex. The possessor of it must be absolutely unselfconscious and must have a magnetic sex appeal, which is irresistible. That is her definition of it. So magnetism. And Eleanor Glynn, the authority figure on sex appeal, pointed at Clara Bow and said to everyone, Clara Bow has it. And PR people are no fools. They recognized a marketing opportunity. So Eleanor Glenn was hired to actually write a novel called It. And then Paramount bought the rights to the novel and turned it into a movie. Starring... Clarabelle. The basic premise of It is, girl who works retail marries very well with ukulele action. <laughs> you wouldn't think it was so awesome, actually, but it defined an era. And there is a... On YouTube, you can see the dressing scene where she and her friend cut up an outfit. Actually, the whole movie is on Netflix streaming. <gasps> I will tell you, in that movie, there's the world's cutest baby. Oh, my gosh. Darling. No one will ever chop that baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> and really, you only have to watch. We'll link you up to the YouTube video because you only have to watch that three minutes or whatever it is to see what it is that everybody else in the entire world was seeing that was it, I guess, mm-hmm. um, that Clara Bow possessed. So Clara Bow, formerly of the Tenements of Brooklyn, had risen to the top to become the nation's it girl, and she was only 21. So now I think it's time to take another little break, and when we come back, we will talk about the fabulous career of Clara Bow. Exciting news! We have a new voicemail box. We would love to hear the sound of your voice. If you have a comment or a question or want to leave us any kind of message at all, just call us at 816-934-1234 and let us know what you're thinking. Again, the number is 816-934-1234. So Clara Bow was the it girl. Women and girls were bobbing their hair all over the country, much to the dismay of their menfolk. My own grandmother had her hair cut off. She told me that her friend Nelda cut her hair into a rough bob on the back stoop of their house. Love. Because her father had forbidden her from getting that haircut. And she did it anyway. Did it anyway because that's what Clara Bow would have done. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The jazz age was in full swing. Well, Clara's personal life was really no joke by this time. She had met contract player Gary Cooper, who is the most handsome. Is he real? Is he photoshopped? <laughs> it's amazing. So he's in the mix. Victor Fleming's still in the mix. There was a film called Wings, ready to begin production, basically a World War One story, and the studio guys were concerned. I quote, this damn film needs some sex. Who the hell's going to see a film? with all men. So they wrote Clara in as a, as a proper girl who becomes a Red Cross ambulance driver. Like, she's Sybil in Down Abbey <laughs> on screen. Uh-huh. And then they wrote Gary Cooper in because Clara made them. Because mm-hmm. she wanted to bring him along. And catastrophe kind of struck when all the Paramount people went on location on this one nice hotel in San Antonio. How shall I say, the party atmosphere was such that almost all the women employees were pregnant within months. (laughs) (laughs) And then Clara had her own set of worries because she had Victor Fleming on the hook. She had Gary Cooper. She had 
pilots were coming to be extras. We can't pass up the pilots. No. Hotel employees that didn't have the proper equipment to become pregnant were visiting Clara Bow. Very complicated, you know. She was constantly running into people in the hall who thought he was the only one, and et cetera, and it was just a mess. One of the maids in the hotel said to Clara, I think you ought to give them all tickets. (laughs) (laughs) This is the level at which we're dealing with here. Um, She also fell in with a rich Broadway star who was very, very full of himself. Oh, quite. His name is Harry Richmond, and he is getting ready to make the transition from East Coast to West Coast. And he glams on to Clara with all he's worth because this is his ticket to getting into into movies and into getting the publicity. Because, quite frankly, the publicity hounds were after her. She gave them what they wanted. So he wanted to get in on that. So there's an assortment of men, let's just say, followed by the backup artists and extras that filled in the rest of the time. Clara had a a need for that kind of physical affection. It was just part of her personality. She needed food, she needed to breathe, and she needed men. After a long night of assorted delights, she said, Boy, do I feel better. I sure needed that. As if we had eaten a pizza after having run a marathon and moved furniture and... Taking our friends' right. things to their new house, etc. Whoa, I need this pizza and beer. I feel good. That's how she felt about sex. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was like a... It just was not a prohibited part of her life. It was as natural to her as oxygen. Right. I agree. Which is very foreign even now. Even now, we look askance at a movie star that acted that way. But it fit in with her bad girl image on screen. So... People just didn't even, they didn't even look askance at her for it. Is that amazing? The public still loved her. Yeah. And they wanted to be her. They wanted to look like her. Well, so, uh... (laughs) Can I just say something about Wings? It was the first movie to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Before they were called the Oscars. Yeah. The very first year. So after they came back from filming Wings, she said, I need a break. And the studio, not about to let the cash cow go, said, Haven't you just spent the last few months in bed? <laughs> in bed making you money. So they know. They know what's going on. And they tossed her straight into another movie instead of giving her the break because they didn't take her very seriously and she started to drink. She never had been drinking before. Mm-hmm. Is that surprising to you? I know, you think of her dancing on the table with a champagne in her hand and that's not the case at all. She worked 16 hours a day. Sometimes there was no, you know, union at this point. So mm-hmm. sometimes she was 16 hours a day. She still slept three, maybe four hours a night. Filled the rest. She got to a point where she was cruising the streets, picking up random dudes, walking on the street and bringing them back to her house. That's yeah. a problem. That yeah. is a very... Do you think that was where did all that come from, do you think? It was just like her childhood, complete lack of affection? It's an addiction is how I see it. I, she ne- she needed that high. And there was nobody telling her not to do it. There's nobody ever in her life. And she's an established adult right now. She's not going to change a whole heck of a lot. Right. So for the first time ever on the set of this movie, which is called Rough House Rosie. Mm. Yeah, another charming, charming name. Mm -hmm. For the first time ever, Clara had lost her it. She lost her it 
and she lost her shit. Big time. <laughs> she started screaming and cursing and telling everyone to go to hell. She was messing up her hair and, like, weeping, 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 like, for real weeping, not movie weeping. Crazy sauce was leaking out everywhere. <laughs> Paramount was pretty paternalistic, as many studios were, and they sent her to a sanatorium, which sounds gross, like a toilet or something, but in fact is just a place where there is rest. And there's good food. It's not like a medical facility where they shove needles in you and they zap mm -hmm. you and blah, blah, blah. This is just a, we're going to just take away the sensory overload. Mm -hmm. So that was good. Um, and they said, of course, as they still do now, exhaustion. But they're probably closer, in this case, to the real cause. She was exhausted. She's absolutely exhausted. She's been running on empty for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. So, for the next few years, the following threads kind of ran simultaneously. Many, many men, uh, mental instability, and movie magic. So, let's go just briefly with the men. Untrue rumors of taking on a entire football team. There's a 1927 USC football team. She was a football fan. She's about college age at this point. Mm -hmm. And this is natural. These are people her age. Um, she did entertain them in her home. But did she t entertain them in that manner? Probably not. Yeah, they were called The Thundering Herd, and there was a book published in 1957 mm -hmm. called Hollywood Babylon and had a chapter called The Loves of Clara, and that's where this rumor started, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, also, the rumor that John Wayne was one of The Thundering Herd, but he had left that college before right. she hung out at the frat house. Can you imagine if you were in a frat house and the top-selling box office star of all time knocks on the door of the frat house and wants to hang out. And one Yale football player tried to kill himself over her, and her comment on that was, a real man would use a pistol. Yeah. She didn't yeah. take well, that very seriously. He, he splits his wrist in a manner that it's not going to kill him, yeah. poses himself so that the blood drips on her picture, and then calls somebody to come save him. So... Yeah, it was staged to try to get her attention. Man would knock on her door to propose to her. Yeah, and she had, I mean, engagements, I guess we should say, but they were more publicity stunts. Harry Richmond, for instance, they had an engagement that... She had a $5,000 wedding ring that in the she 20s. bought for herself. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she would... Oh, yeah, that's my, my fella. We're going to get married. She'd just tell them the magazines, and they'd print it. The uh, mental instability part, she's starting to show signs of her mother's withdrawal and fugues at this point, really. After that first big crack up on the set of Rough House Rosie, there were cracks in the in the veneer starting to appear. Mm -hmm. uh, movie magic. Let's talk about that in a minute. Yeah, that's a little happier. <laughs> Technicolor came before sound, mm -hmm. which seems strange to me. It seems like sound would be easier. In color, but who am I? Not an engineer. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so Technicolor came first, and it required extremely hot lights. But the thing is, when you have flaming red hair, and they put you in a white swimsuit, and they put you in front of a blue sky, that is going to be a pretty amazing image. Mm -hmm. And I read somewhere it's just the first reel of that movie that's in color, which is funny. And then they just flip back, like, oh, we ran out of money. For yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like um, the Wizard of Oz that yeah. starts off in the CPI and then turns into color. And that's one of the movies, Red Hair, that is, uh, they think is just lost. They think there's no copies of it mm -hmm. left. 
That's pretty sad. Then the talkies came. The talkies. And a lot of times you think about her career is ending when the talkies came. Because, oh my goodness, she's from Brooklyn. She's got the accent. There's an interesting quote that I had seen that Greta Garbo was given two years to practice for her first talkie. And Clara Bow was given two weeks. Well, Paramount, for some reason, probably because it's the biggest kid on the block and didn't feel like it had to compete, it was lagging behind all the other studios on this. And is this going to even stick? This is too expensive. You know, most theaters can't even play a talkie. What are we worried about? Right. Wait until the technology is established before we spend the money to transfer ourselves over. But then all of a sudden, they had to get on it, and Clara had two weeks. So, Mm -hmm. whoa. She did not deal well with the microphones at first. No, it's funny. Her way of acting required a lot of movement. Well, microphones had to stay hidden in a plant. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, in the movie Singing in the Rain, which is all about the transition from silent film oh, exactly. to talkies. And the actress, they're putting the microphone in her dress, and all you can hear is her playing with her beads because that's what she would have done. Actually, I think she was playing Marie Antoinette in that oh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had a person behind the screen mm-hmm. dubbing in her voice for her live. Yeah, that was Debbie Reynolds. In a better role than Molly Brown. (laughs) I was just going to say, Debbie Reynolds was just adorable in this movie. I love that movie. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Let's just go ahead and recommend Singing in the Rain. Yeah. She had a thick Brooklyn accent. It was still pretty adorable. She had to work with the dialect coach, which she hated. She hated it. Let's go back to Singing in the Rain. Moses supposes his doses are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. There you go. ba ba doo ba <laughs> One of my favorites. Okay, this reminds me of Clara Bow because I think that Betty Boop is supposed to be from Brooklyn. Although you know she's a cartoon, she can be from anywhere. But um, remember that in Who Killed Roger Rabbit, how Betty Boop goes, "Work's been kind of tough since cartoons went to color." No, that is what she sounded like, and we can we'll link you up to her voice. But that was perfect. In fact, a lot of people think Clara Bow is the model for Betty Boop. And that would be a very logical assumption. Oh, it would. But in fact, she is a caricature of a singer named Helen Kane. And if you see Helen Kane, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. That made me feel kind of sad, though. I had hoped for a connection. I know. <laughs> so the microphones are stationary, and Clara would move away, and the guy would yell, We're not getting you! Like these radio geeks are who's operating this thing. <laughs> and she would say, that son of a bitch microphone, and she'd go over and kick it, which I'm sure helped a lot. <laughs> Can you see the sound men sitting in their booth away ah. from the stage, all of a sudden hearing that noise in their ears? Ah. And so, honestly, many more takes than she was used to. She was good at getting it on one of the early takes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was not tedious. It was fun. But now work was like work. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Oh, it's depressing. And occasionally she'd get a serious role, but mostly she was typecast as a party flapper or poor girl makes good was another Mm -hmm. one of her little tropes Mm -hmm. and she was pretty frustrated with her material and then they made her do musicals which made her sick with stress it it did and actually we you will not hear us recommend wikipedia all the time but on the wikipedia entry for clara bow there is the audio for her singing and it's actually a nice write-up about her it's as of this taping you know how people can always change things a pretty good job yeah on this person only. Yeah. And they uh, they outline a lot of her movies, um, just give a general synopsis of the movie, which is kind of interesting, as well as giving quite a few pictures, movie posters and pictures of her that I didn't actually see very many other places. So, uh, Oh, by the way, there's a nude scene in her movie Hula. 
<laughs> you can't really see anything. She's you swimming, but she's naked as naked can be. Floating in the water. It's just kind of a white blob underneath the water, just a blur. But, yep, there she was, naked on the big screen. But she's still so very popular that a whole train car was reserved for her fan mail. She got, like, 300,000 letters in a year. Isn't that amazing? I'm shocked because she's so down to earth. Like, there's a story that I heard about her. This makes me really like her a lot. There was a little boy who had a popcorn stand. Oh, yeah. In Venice Pier, which was like the Coney Island of the West Coast, basically. And um, he wrote her a letter and just said, you know, it's clear bow day and I wish you could come help me sell popcorn, blah, blah, blah. Well, she made a note of it because the people that opened her fan mail kind of were under instructions. Anything special, throw to the side and she wants to read it. So she read a lot of her fan mail, and this kind of struck her, like, because of the Coney Island thing. Sure, and And the kid wasn't very wealthy, so sure. And so after this publicity photo thing at Venice Pier, everybody's like, all right, let's go. She goes, no, i got to see the kid. i got to see that kid that wrote me the letter. And so she made her way down. Everyone's following her. Mm -hmm. She didn't care. Mm -hmm. She wasn't doing it for that. She was going to find that boy. She did find the boy. She got behind the popcorn stand with him, and between the two of them, they sold all his popcorn. And I just think that's so cute. She didn't have to do that, and she Mm -hmm. did not do it for self-interest. She wanted to see this boy, and she wanted to help him. Mm -hmm. It was adorable. I love that story. I do, too. She was very lonely, though. Um, She wrote, Some people kid themselves about fame. I'm glad people like me, but I know that isn't real friendship. And the minute I do something wrong on or off the screen that they don't like, they're going to turn against me. And as it's the universe, have been paying attention. Scandal broke all over the papers. Clara had had an appendectomy. Yes. And as only Clara can do, she picked up the doctor while she's recovering from her appendectomy. And they had a relationship. She felt as if she loved this man, and he was with her all the time at her house and everything. There's one teeny tiny little problem, and that this man was married. That did not go over so well with Mrs. Dr. Earl Pearson. (laughs) The wife um, sued Clara for alienation of affections, like basically being a homewrecker. Right. And Clara did not handle this in a savvy manner. She tried to be all incognito, go to Dallas, and fix it on the DL. She is the most recognizable woman in the country. There is not a sunglass big enough. No. (laughs) And so the tabloids went crazy. So according to who you listen to, either 30... Forty, fifty, or a hundred and fifty thousand dollars later, people get their facts straight. You know what? I don't know who the authority is. They're all over the place. Mm-hmm. Some amount of money later, a big wad. It was over. But people started to think of her. It kind of shifted public perception just a little bit. She's reckless and silly and kind of a joke. A little bit. A little bit. bit. Before her actions had were fairly victimless. Now mm-hmm. there's a victim, and that's the wife. Clara's father. Had uh, married her first secretary and moved away. So she had to hire a new secretary, a woman about her own age, named, brace yourself, I swear, Daisy DeBeau. Beau, really. They actually had to change it to DeBeau, because you can't have Beau and DeBeau, because that's stupid. So they changed the secretary's name. She lived with her, and they were very close, like girlfriends. They talked about stuff, and... Absolutely. Daisy paid attention she paid a lot of attention. She played cards with her all night long. She worked with the insomnia. I mean, anybody doing that, 
needs some type of special compensation, I think. Well, yeah, and but. she was stable and not starstruck. She handled all the stupid parts that Clara didn't feel like handling. She answered the mail Clara didn't feel like dealing with. She paid the bills she didn't feel like dealing with. She was a combination of, like, a lady's maid that was always there with gossip and to hear things and blah, 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 and a personal secretary. Mm-hmm. It was a great combination. And so she did have a girlfriend, what she wanted, she wrote, if only I could find the right man, someone who would give me something. I'm unhappy. My mind goes on, even when my body sleeps. I've always given and given. I've had no children. Demands have always been made on me, but I could be happy. I know I could be happy if I could find the right man. She and certainly they- gave enough auditions <laughs> for the right man. She did, but again, from Clara Bow's mouth to the universe's ear, the right man does come into her life, and that is actor by the name of Rex Bell. This started out exactly like everything else. Oh, look! There's an attractive man dressed as a sailor in my movie. Let's get him over to the house, shall we? Let's! Yes, he played a singing sailor in one of the movies, but he seemed different to any man she'd ever known before, and that's because he was different. He's from the Midwest, number one. (laughs) He's conservative as heck. Despite his fabulous good looks, he thought this was an excellent way to make enough money to make a nice living. Is Mm -hmm. basically how he viewed the movies. Right. He wasn't in it for glory, for fame. He's in it for, I'm going to show up, do four hours of work, get paid exponentially more than anywhere else, and get out. Right. He was industrious, and he was calm, and preferred to be at home and cozy with Clara Bow, but not in a possessive way. Like, Mm -hmm. he just made the environment a place she wanted to be. It made it a home. It was perfect. And you know what else he did? He noticed something Clara didn't see. Yeah. He noticed that Daisy was not exactly doing her job the way that Clara believed her to be doing it. There was money that was missing. And Daisy had a lot of nice things that somebody making $75 a week really couldn't afford. Yeah, they would show up places and Daisy would be dressed in nicer clothes than Clara Mm -hmm. was. And he um, started asking some pretty pointed questions and Daisy knew, I think, the jig was up. Mm -hmm. And she cruised to Clara's lawyer and said, Clara's worth a quarter of a million dollars. I want half of it or else I'm going to tell everything I know about Clara Bow's love life. And she knew a lot and she'd been taking notes. She had taken some love letters from Clara. She had actual physical proof of the life that Clara was leading that might destroy Clara's career and bring paramount shame. Now the movie house is getting involved in it. Before they were kind of turning a blind eye to her activities because it was generating positive publicity. This particular scheme was going to generate lots of negative publicity and they were not going to be having any of that. Clara Bow was devastated, and not even really about the money. She just thought that was kind of pitiful. Like, you could have just asked me, and I would have mm-hmm. given it to you. Mm-hmm. Seriously, the money right. was stupid. Like, who cares about that? What she cared about was the betrayal. Like, you're my friend, and you are going to go and sell my private business to the papers, and all those letters that you swore you burnt, you mm-hmm. put in a drawer mm-hmm. that are my personal letters that my friend said she'd take care of for me, and you didn't. Ugh. It was... It hurt her so badly. This is like the one friend she had. It was bad. And so off it goes to court. And soon Daisy DeVoe was facing 35 counts of grand larceny. Now, I'm not sure because there's no blackmail charge. 
Oh, they were just concentrating on the actual financial aspects it. of it. That the money that she had taken, she had paid her mom's mortgage a few times. She had bought herself a fur coat. She had paid for things with Clara's money that were not because she paid Clara's bill. She had mm-hmm. access to her checkbook. So, but she paid for Daisy items and not Clara items. Got it. Yeah. Well, Daisy went ahead and sold her tales to a paper called the Evening Graphic. Yeah, she couldn't have sold them to a sleazier publication. They dragged it all out in lurid detail, and the studio kind of wasn't as freaked out as they thought they would be. Like, oh, well, hmm. Because I think Clara Bow had never played a good girl. There was no image to destroy. It mm. wasn't like Mary Pickford had ended up in this yes. kind of thing. It oh, was my God. Super scandal because it was not, it was against type. Right, but this mm. is the girl that was naked on screen. She always had lingerie on, you know. But the trial was very messy. Um, Daisy had stolen over $30,000 from Clara. Now, remember, this is the start of the Depression. So that kind of money to the average person to be squandered like that was a big deal. It rang bells. So Clara was had to testify. She had to be on the whole time, though. Even when she's sitting there listening in court, she her facial expressions were being photographed, remarked upon. Like, there's nothing she could do. It was exhausting. And there's a great picture, actually, of Clara identifying the white fur coat, the one thing that they actually hooked her on. Of all 35 mm-hmm. charges, she only got convicted of one, and that was the fur coat. That's it. I think it was because it was just directly, I thought this was to pay my income taxes. That's what she said it was for. And then right after that, the fur coat for the exact same amount. I mean, that was a pretty open and shut case. Yeah. But I can't believe they let her off on 34 counts. I know. The judge even couldn't believe it. He was very irritated He was with very the disappointed with the jury's verdict. Mm-hmm. And, but Daisy did go to jail. There's a very famous picture of her, well, famous to us now because we keep seeing it, of her in jail with her prison uniform and pumps on. Like, now we think of, you know, this, like, what are those called? Suits? Uh, Coveralls? Yeah, kind of, and sneakers without shoelaces. But she had a, she looked like a maid, almost. It's a fitted dress with pumps. Yeah, it's the same outfit Alice had on in the Brady Bunch. It was, that's what I thought that. It's really sad. Um... So Daisy went to jail, and Clara went to the sanatorium again with a complete nervous collapse. She's 25 years old, people. Mm-hmm. We're only to 25. Mm-mm. The studio tried to get her back too soon, and oh, did they see the error of her ways. She broke a mirror over a guy's head, took a piece of the mirror, and cut her wrists open. She had to be sedated and taken away, and there were reporters in the room. Yeah, not a good scene. It wasn't good. But Rex... He's like her hero. He takes her away from Hollywood. They build a ranch in Nevada. Now, not like a ranch house. I'm talking like a ranch. Now, I will say she did dye all the cows to match her hair. And that is true. Because she thought they looked, quote, cuter like that. Well. Can you see the cowboys, like, carrying out this operation? I don't know what's going on here. She's from Hollywood. Uh, Seriously, she took to horseback riding. She gained quite a bit of weight. Good for her, though. And my favorite thing is she would leave her fabulous ranch house and play stickball with all the local little boys. So here's this Hollywood superstar sweating it out Mm -hmm. and screaming at the top of her lungs, running the bases with little dudes with no shoes on. I love it. Yeah, it's a a great image. And while she was in Nevada, that's really where she rested. And while she was there, her and Rex decided to get married. In a teeny, tiny ceremony. Uh, suddenly. Yeah. It, it wasn't was... the big publicity wedding that she would have had with any of her other quote-unquote fiancés. They just one night said, let's do it, and they ran off and they got married. 
Yeah, I love that. It is great. And people wanted her back, though. I mean, she, she was missed. I mean, I'm talking big people. Mary Pickford herself asked for her specifically to play her sister in a movie. Claire turned it down. Mm-hmm. Howard da- Hughes offered her a three-picture deal. And David O. Selznick, later of Gone with the Wind, uh, wanted her in a movie. I mean, people did miss her, but, you know, she spent two years chilling out, and I think it's good. She came back for a picture called Call Her Savage that I cannot stand. <laughs> because? It's ridiculous. There's this scene where she whips this dude with the whip while screaming maniacally, and I'm just like, I do not know about this. Yeah, and she's no Indiana Jones. She misses half the time. It's like, you know, at least have a stand-in whipper. There's like a snake on a log, and she's just beating the heck out of it. And it slithers away. Yeah, it was bizarre. So... Awesome. Although, in the paper, the Tribune said, Clara Bow is, as always, a vivid and arresting screen personage. And the mirror said, the Bow is back. <laughs> but the Bow was not really back. She made one more movie, another um, tanker called Hoopla. <laughs> but she decided to bail on movies entirely. And she said, I'm going to lead a normal life from now on. I'm going to devote all my energy to my husband, and we're going to raise a family. So she's 27, and she's out. Yeah, done. She and Rex had two little boys in quick succession, and for ten years they lived out of the limelight. They were people with all of the servants and help they wanted. The kids were not to be in the Hollywood limelight. She would not have them raised that way. I have to wonder, my husband asked me this question, actually. For someone with such a bad upbringing, you know how parenting sometimes goes the same that you had, you give out? I, I never hear about Clara Bow being mean or crazy or No, I didn't. And neglectful. Fact, her father actually came out to live with them in Nevada at this point. He's calling himself King Bow, and... People think that's his given name, King. But he goes out to live on and he was uh, abusive to her sons, and she put a stop to it. Maybe Rex brought her enough decency and normalcy Maybe. that she could find that in her life and treat people the way that she wanted to be treated. Well, she seemed good on the surface, but under, things just weren't right. They had had to have a live-in nurse for years, mm-hmm. which nobody really knew about. Um, Rex and Clara ended up getting separated, and she began this series of sanatorium visits, psychiatrist appointments, and insomnia that would last the rest of her life. And it wasn't the nice, sweet sanatoriums of California. She was sent to the Institute of Living in Hartford, Connecticut, which is an upscale medical facility, and she's given the treatments of the times, which were, you know, shock treatments. They would freeze sheets in, like, a walk-in and then wrap you in frozen sheets. I don't know what that was supposed to do. She didn't have any social life at all. Pretty withdrawn, which sounds a lot like Mama, but she began to read kind of voraciously, which I love, Mm -hmm. especially Edna St. Vincent Millay. She loved poetry. She also took an interest in politics. Rex Bell, incidentally, was lieutenant governor of Nevada. He kind of reminds me of Ronald Reagan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he was a Western superstar. He was a Western superstar, very handsome, had his wits about him, was very intelligent, went into politics, um, and that's as high as Rex got, but still, that's nothing to sneeze at. Clarabelle loved TV. She loved TV. She felt so close to Marilyn Monroe and said, I will ship my it girl crown to Monroe. I never met her, but I, I would have tried very hard to help her. Being a sex symbol is a hard load to carry. Mm-hmm. And she would know because she really was the first movie sex symbol. Mm-hmm. That's the title that's given to her, and she earned it. <laughs> yeah. 
Her last, very last, public appearance was the funeral of Rex Bell, who died at only 59. She gave the cameras that had all lain in wait for her at this mm-hmm. funeral. Yeah. She was mean. Uh, oh, smile and a wave, and then she appeared no more. Although, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, the first year they did it was 1960, and she was in that first group of people that got a star on the Hollywood mm-hmm. Walk of Fame. So, it girl, the hottest jazz baby in the world, symbol of an era, died quietly in her sleep on September 26, 1965, at the age of only 60, of a heart attack. This whole story, the childhood just threw me so badly. She was such an original person. Mm-hmm. There's nobody like her, really. No. The I... closest I could even think of would be Madonna. But Madonna didn't, I mean, and her mother died, but she had a nice childhood. She didn't overcome great adversity that this woman overcame. But I think, you know, the hangers-on, the paparazzi, the public interest in every little freaking thing she did, the sexual escapades mm-hmm. were titillating. I, you know, that's the closest I can think of, maybe Madonna. Another genre breaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In her own right. Sure. So, that's the closest I can get, but she was just herself. She was very original. That's what I take away. Also, on the darker side, I think she was honestly one of the most exploited women in Hollywood. Oh, really? Because she didn't, nobody had her back. Mm-hmm. Nobody was watching out for her and she was used and manipulated and really, Schulberg pimped her out like nobody's business. So she had in her life all this love on the surface and I just think she had been missing that real love for so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. So that makes me a little sad. Unlike many of our subjects, we have a record of her. We ha- we can see what she looks like. We can hear her voice. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of media out there. There's a whole YouTube channel that has Clara Bow movies on it or, or bits from Clara Bow movies that you can get. You can actually stream, like I said earlier, Netflix, you can stream it. Um, there is a Tumblr account, the Clara Bow Archive, which has lots and lots of pictures of her. Is this the one that you were talking about? No, there's another one called Mm silentladies.com, and you're going to want to go to that and then go to The Flappers. And then there are so many pictures there. Honestly, I am not enamored of any picture until Gallery 5. That's when they go back to black and white. I don't like it when pictures are painted and all the first four galleries are all retouched, but Mm -hmm. Galleries 5 through Infinity are the black and white stills, Mm. publicity shots. It's really good. I love that. Silentladies.com. On Twitter, the Clarable Archive does tweet. They, it's not a character tweet, though, it's, but it's just stuff when they put new stuff on their website. There are two movies. They're actually movies, documentaries made for TV. Um, the older one is called Complicated Women, and it's a Turner Classic Movies documentary. I have no information about when it's being aired. If you've got um, some kind of TiVo that can pick it up, Turner Classic Movies airs it all the time, and it's narrated by Jane Fonda. There is another movie called Clara Bow Discovering the It Girl, whose host is Courtney Love. That's perfect. There was also a biography done of her. I got it from my library, and it actually had the author of one of our main reference books in it. But it starts off with Faye Ray, like an older, grandmotherly. And Faye Ray said she was never going to do a talkie, by the way. She was one of those ladies, along with Clara Bow, who, who gave a solemn pledge over some drinks that they were never going to do a talkie, and they would all stand firm and like, yeah. Yeah, she did 11. One by one, <laughs> all you people fell. Fell. Uh, there is, um, as a matter of fact, on Amazon, they've got a little pack of two DVDs. One is the movie It, Clara Bow, and the other is that documentary with Courtney Love. Um, now, as to books... 
I'm actually, I actually found quite a bit of books that I thought were good. Susan and I differ on which one we like the best. Yeah, we did. Um, the first one I would start with, would you start with this one? The first one is my favorite. Yeah, The It Girl, The Incredible Story of Clara Bow by Joe Morella and Edward Z. Epstein. And it is a, it's a pretty quick read. Mm-hmm. It's, the font's very big, and it's an older book. Lots of information, good place to start. The other one is Clara Bow Running Wild with David Sten, which has a lot more detail, but it's still readable. I mean, I have a hard time getting through the unreadable ones that you somehow managed to get to the end of, and I plow through. But this one, I, I actually, it was very readable. And I have to recommend a book that is so close to my heart. I read it so long ago. It has nothing to do with Clara Bow, but it has everything to do with growing up dirt poor with a singing waiter father uh, in Brooklyn at the turn of the century, and it's called A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. It is so good. I can't even, I have no words. It, I highly recommend it. So that is it for Clara Bow. I would like to close with a verse from one of her favorite poems by Edna St. Vincent Millay that really describes her perfectly. My candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night. But ah, my foes, and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. Thanks for listening. Bye. For show notes, links to the things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at thehistorychicks with an X, or like us on Facebook without an X. Listen to us on Stitcher, the super fabulous radio app of tomorrow. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com.